Aloha. Aloha. Oh, that sounded so nice. Let's do it again. Aloha. Aloha. Oh, I feel at home. <laughs> What an honor to be here. Your pastors are lovely. I've had uh, just a few moments with them and sharing me a little bit about the story of the legacy and the history of this church and where it's gone and just spending a few moments together. Uh, they've made me feel welcome and part of your family. And so I want to just say thank you to all of you. And I can see why you're here because of the extension of their love toward each and every one of you and this great nation in which you live. Amen. I think you ought to just give it up for your pastor, Pastor John and Mandry, two beautiful people. Thank God for people like that. So I just want to let you know I'm not Hawaiian. I'm a transplant. <laughs> And uh, I hear uh, Pastor Bert Pretorius, a good friend of ours, spoke to me today. He says, now you have to realize they speak proper English in this church. <laughs> And I said, so what do you mean? <laughs> uh, I think what he meant is I speak Spanglish, which is a mix of Well, we'll just, we won't even call it English because I'll be categorized right there. American and Spanish and a few other things, it all mixed together. And so I just want to um, say what an honor it is to be here and I enjoyed your, your worship. And I just, I think it's the atmosphere of this house. You can just really sense the presence of God and the love of God. And we trust that this morning uh, we're going to be able to minister to you in, in a way that will, um, that will uh, speak to you. And, We're all ready. You're ready. So let's get ready. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, I do come before you, and I thank you once again as I stand before your people. And Father God, I thank you for the honor always to speak forth your word. I pray that you would grant me the tongue of the learned, that I may speak a word in season to everyone that is willing. Father, your word says that you awaken us morning by morning. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the ear of the learned, that we would hear what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say to each and every one of us. And then we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory here in this place. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Please watch this. Been a long time coming since I seen your face I've been everywhere and back trying to replace Everything that I had till my feet went numb Praying like a fool that's been on the run I'd still beat him but it's not working It's like a million dollar phone that you just can't ring I wish hell trying to love but I feel nothing Yeah, my heart is numb Much 
song that came out a, a couple of years ago. Some of you might be familiar with the group called One Republic. The, uh, the singer-songwriter, his name is Ted, uh, Ryan Tedler. Ryan Tedler is a believer. He's a Christian. This is a story of him coming back to the Lord. It's a secular song. In other words, it's not made for Christians, but he's exactly who he's talking to. He's God. He's talking about how he got to this place. See, he grew up in a Christian home. His parents were missionaries. He went to Oral Roberts University, graduated, and went into the music business. Now he is with the top of the top. If you name him, he's written for them. And he has the band called One Republic. But this is his story. See, everybody has a story. This is I know. I might not know you. You may not know me at this moment. I trust we will get to meet one another and uh, better. But one of the things I do know about humanity or about people, and that is everybody has a story. And what you must understand, secondly, is every story is important to God. The third thing you need to understand is this. That not every story that everybody has is a story that everybody wants. But then, the fourth thing is one of the most important things, and that is Jesus is a story changer. But he talks about how he walked away from God and tried to replace God with so many things. And his, he got to this place called numb. So many people live numb. N-U-M-B. Numb. Numb, of course, you understand, is you can get to a place where you're insensitive to things. And it can happen in a family. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen in life. It can happen with your walk with God. It can happen very things you were once desirous of. I kind of break down in a little acrostic form, the word numb, N-U-M-B. You know, after time when things happen and we disconnect or things happen to us, you know, we can get negative where we used to be positive for the letter M. For the letter U, it would be we become uninspired where we used to be so inspired about living for God or doing great things in life. And then for M, well, we can get to this place called, you know, mediocre. Uh, mediocre, just being mediocre before we used to have a pursuit of excellence and wanted to do everything right. And then we can get to this place called for the letter B that summarizes this word, it would be brokenhearted. And so many people are brokenhearted in this life. You combine that together and never have those things resolved in your life, you know, because we all have bad days. You know, one thing I found out is that uh, not only do we all have bad days, but in life stuff happens, even to good people. And I want you to realize I want to share with you something that a pastor once uh, talked to me about. He's out of El Paso, Texas. Not that that means anything to you, but he's a good friend of mine. And he once we were talking, story, and uh, he said, when the fire comes through your life and you get burnt, remember this, Art. He said, God can still raise up your life out of the ashes. You know, sometimes, you know, life seems like you're sitting right in the middle of an ash heap. For whatever reason, you feel that you've been burned, betrayed, rejected, you know, used and abused, and the list can go on. And sometimes in those moments when you feel like you're in the ash heap, life doesn't seem to make sense. Your soul is racked with pain, and your, sense, your sensory gauge is just going every which way but the right way. And yet in those moments, we must remind ourselves that there is a God who can still raise us up from the ashes. Why do I say this? Because in Isaiah 61, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, making reference to him, has come to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for your mourning, and the garments of praise. Come on, somebody, for your heaviness. That's the kind of God that we serve. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about a story, you know, and in the time frame that I have. So I'm going to just basically hang out in 1 Samuel chapter 30, about the first six verses, 
you might just want to remember that or write that on your neighbor's arm. I'm sure they'll give you permission. And, um, but I know we're going to get to meet one another and we're going to get to know each other. And uh, one of the things you have to understand is, that, you know, I don't always have the best of jokes. That's the first thing you have to understand. But it's amazing how I try. For example, I remember these, uh, there were these three ministers. One was a Catholic, and one was a Baptist, and one was a charismatic. And they were friends, you know, and they were living in, you know, in the, in, they were living in the same city and they were going to, I guess they were going somewhere to get something to eat. And unfortunately, they had an accident. Well, anyways, they got to heaven much sooner than they imagined. And all of a sudden, they're knocking on the door. Peter opens the door. And he says, whoa, what are you all doing here? And uh, you're not, you know, we don't have your mansions ready. And then says, well, you know, I don't want to go through it, but here we are. And then uh, Peter, you know, he picks up the big, um, the big pearly phone and he says, master. And he starts going into why these three are here and, you know, we weren't ready to set in the other. And then all of a sudden you heard Peter go like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really? Are you sure they're going to be okay? Oh, right. Okay. Well, I'll tell them. All right. They're going to be safe though? Okay, good. Hung up. He says, listen, boys, I've got all figured out. We're going to get your mansion together because you know that you have a mansion waiting for you. But we just, the cleaning crew is still working on it. And so um, while they're still working on it, we're going to just assign you to go with Mr. Devil over here. Okay, don't, don't get caught up with the theology, all right? Now, you're going to go with Mr. Devil over here. You're going to be safe. Don't worry about this. You're just going to be there for a couple of hours till we finish everything up. Well, you know, they went their way. No more than 15 minutes passed. And all of a sudden, Peter got a phone call. And he picked up the phone. And he heard someone yelling on the other side. And it was the devil. And he said, Peter, Peter. And you know, and Peter goes like, slow it up. What's going on? And he says, you got to get these three out of here. I said, well, 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 wait a minute. What's going on? He says, first of all, the Baptist is trying to save everybody. The Catholic is trying to forgive everybody. And the charismatic is taking an offering for air conditioning. <laughs> Come on, somebody, give me some help. Hey! That's what I'm saying. Pastor Bert Pretorius needs a revelation of air conditioning. That's a, why did I say it? First Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south at Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned Ziklag with fire, verse 2, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way, verse 3. So David and his men came to the city of Ziklag, and there it was, Ziklag, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. You know, I want to share with you, because of time, I'm just going to have to be right to the point. It starts off saying, now it happened to David. You know, in life... You can probably attest that sometimes things that you don't sign up for, you, don't, you wouldn't vote it upon your worst situation or individual that you might know that not as friendly with you. You know, stuff happens. Well, what happened to David? Ziklag happened. You see, in the setting of this story, 
In the year is 1012 BC. And David, at this point, was 29 years old in his life. And by that time, you know, since he was anointed by, you know, by Samuel, about 13 years had passed. And already in that short span of time, he had an adventurous life. We go back, you all understand that as a teenage boy, the prophet Samuel came to his home, Bethlehem, and anointed him to be the future king. A few months later, you know, David was thrust into uh, sudden fame when he killed Goliath and, and the, the champion of the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. And after that, David left the sheepfold of his father and he became a member of the royal family of King Saul. And Saul made David the commander of his armies. And David, you know, led the armies of Israel in, from one victory after another. In fact, he even came out with a, a CD that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. You know, he was a daring warrior, and David became a national hero. But King Saul got very jealous. Ever had that happen to you? And jealousy was just taken over. And all of a sudden, this popular individual was having spears thrown at him. And he was forced to leave the king's royal household. And all of a sudden, at a young age, with an anointing of God on his life, he was facing rejection. He was facing betrayal. And all of a sudden, he had to run as a fugitive for his life. See, now it's... 10, 12, 13 years later. And the promise of Saul has not yet come to pass. But he's waiting. You know, and David was roaming the hillsides of Judea at the time with his mercenary band of about 600 men doing the will of God. Fighting the adversary and uh, just, forth, just going and doing the will of God. All right. He fought the Philistines, expanded and secured the borders of Israel. And David waited and waited and waited for the fulfillment of Samuel's prophecy. That he would be the next king of Israel. And he waited and he waited like some of you are waiting. Then David and his men made the city of Ziklag, the southern Judea border, their home. It was a temporary home. You see, for David, Ziklag was temporary place. You know, it was a stopping place. And basically, they only lived there for about one year and four months. And Ziklag was not Bethlehem, the place of beginning. Nor was Ziklag, Jerusalem, the place of his eventual destiny. Ziklag was somewhere in between. See, you need to learn something about Ziklag. Ziklag, by definition, is uh, to despise or to hate. It's, uh, you know, the adversary's um, attitude toward God's people. And he doesn't want people of purpose for the purposes of God ever going forward. And you need to learn something about the place of Ziklag. See, we all spend some time in Ziklag, but we don't necessarily recognize what's going on. It's not where we come from, and it's not where we're going. It just happens to be somewhere in between. And so it's important that you and I understand that Ziklag is a place of patient waiting on the Lord in faith, located somewhere between prophecy and destiny. Between Bethlehem beginning and Jerusalem destiny, David had to overcome his Ziklag trial. You see, Bethlehem is where you first begin to sense the prophetic move upon your life. Maybe you got a word. Maybe you sense God is doing something in your life. And you begin to release your faith and believe God. But you're not yet at your Jerusalem. You have to go through a process. And Jerusalem was the place of his destiny where the purposes of God that the prophet had said would come to pass in his life. But Ziklag is a very tricky place, my friends, and you have to understand that Ziklag is a place of decision for people. Things are formed there. You can either break through or break down in Ziklag. 
and you have to be careful. It's where you have to learn to make choices, choices that will shape your destiny or stop your destiny altogether, even though God is merciful and always loving. You see, it's in places like Ziklag where you will be tempted to quit, where you, but you have to make a decision to go forward anyway. It's in places like Ziklag where you'll be tempted to run away rather than stay and overcome. It's in places like Ziklag you'll be tempted to compromise, you know, which you never used to, but then you decide to live by conviction. It's in places like Ziklag you'll be tempted to take matters into your own hands until you decide and remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's in a place like Ziklag where things that don't make sense begin to dominate your life. And then all of a sudden, you know, you remind yourself that he is king of kings and lord of lords. It's in a place like Ziklag where you'll be tempted to become a victim. You'll be tempted to buy into the, the, the um, party spirit or whatever it is. It's in places like Ziklag where you'll either become better or you'll make the right decisions and become, you know, bitter or make the wrong decisions and become bitter. But it's in places like Ziklag that people sometimes get stuck and they never get restored and they never come out. And they end up living the rest of their days numb. Numb toward God, numb toward people. Still in function but broken on the inside. And so what I'm trying to share with you between Bethlehem beginning and Jerusalem, you'll have to face and overcome. And you can, your Ziklag. Because Ziklag is the testing ground for future kings. And I want you to realize that between prophecy and destiny, there's always a Ziklag testing. But let me remind you of something to give you a little bit more understanding. That God's purposes for even allowing you to encounter a Ziklag is not that he wants to harm you and not that he set it up. It's the adversary who's against you. It's God who's for you. All right? Never forget that. But it's in those moments that there's a lesson in everything you go through if you're willing to learn the lesson. Character can come out of it. Strength can come out of it. You'll be better for it. You know, but you got to do it with God. Ziklag may seem like the worst day of your life, and sometimes emotionally it does when um, you first encounter it. But as you walk by faith and not by sight, Ziklag becomes the crucible where your fire-refined faith is developed on the inside of you, and you come out like a man with a fire that no one ever saw upon you. Its character is shaped in those moments, and convictions are settled in those moments and you, this is where you set your face like flint, like Jesus, in the midst of persecution. And you come out with a deep devotion that is unshakable and cannot be dominated by circumstances. See, once David got a victory, you know, once he overcame, and I'm going to show you how to do this in just a moment as you get ready to head down home here. You know, once, you, once David got a victory from that ziklag, he did not know, and neither do you. You know how important it is to pass these tests that the enemy is trying to stop you. It's in moments like that he says, you might as well just give up now and go home with your tail, you know, stuck between your legs. Because you're never going to see anything better than what you just saw. And, but seven days after David got his victory at Ziklag, he was crowned king. Some of you don't know how close you are to the break that you've been looking for for a very long time. And maybe the enemy has you at a point right now where you're just deciding, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I just better give up on this promise. This and the other. He had no idea. But I'm speaking to somebody in this place. I don't know who it is or where you're coming from because there's so many different um, categories of lives and situations. But I think somehow 
the adversary sometimes sniffs out that something great's about ready to happen because God's people always do great things when they lift up Jesus. Amen? And so I'm here to tell you, remember this. Even if you have failed and you feel like you want to quit, even if you fail and you feel like, you know, I've had one too many defeats, remember this. Your failure is not final. Your faith is not futile. And your God is not finished with your life. Amen? So come on, give Jesus a great big hand clap because he's deserving all of it. I just want to share with you right now is that, you know, I'm going to give you a couple of steps with the uh, time that's ticking down. Okay, got it. See it. Shandai, got a revelation. All right. The first thing you have to understand is we read that passage. Well, I'm going to just give you the verses and you can just kind of make reference to it. The first thing that happens. Now, you have to understand this. This is what I need you to hear. I need you to hear this and I'm just, I have to put it out differently. I can see I'm not going to get to what I wanted to get to, but I'll say what I got to say. That's all I got. All right, here we go. And that is, David was doing the will of God. Okay, I just want you to understand, David was doing the will of God. And David was in the will of God. And David was anointed of God. He was called of God. He was assigned by God. And yet, he faced a zigzag. Now, some people get so bent out of shape when everything doesn't go right in their life. Well, come on, somebody, help me out. Anyways, and all of a sudden... Ziklag happens. Everything is burnt. He loses everything. 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 Until you've been there, you don't know what that feels like. And I pray you would never have to go through that. And don't ever buy into the theology. I told a person one time, I said, I know you're going through a crisis. And I know it hurts. But never, never let a tragedy rewrite your theology. You, some of you got to get a hold of that right now. Because here, the first thing, here, I'm just going to carry you through it. The first thing he did on the worst day of his life, a place called Ziklag, is David wept. And that's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 4. It says, David and the people who were with him, his mighty men, lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. I want you to understand, my friends, in the end, they got their victory. But in the beginning, they had an opportunity to weep. Paul wept, Peter wept, John wept, Jeremiah wept, even Jesus wept. And just because we're people of faith doesn't mean that we don't have feelings. Having faith doesn't mean that you're exempt from emotions. But you cannot let emotions govern your faith. You have to understand we all have feelings. We all get hurt because in this life you cannot avoid it. You're going to have to overcome the pain and the hurt of goofiness that happens all around us. But there is a point. You didn't catch that one. But anyways, the human response sometimes is emotion. We want to weep. That's the way we are. You know, you don't have to bottle it up. But you can't weep forever. Do you understand this? See, because the Bible says in Psalms 30 verse 5, it says, Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Eventually, you've got to make the choice to stop weeping and dry your eyes and move towards your destiny. See, if you don't, then self-pity is going to set in. And that's going to get into your attitude, your mindset. And you're going to become a person who buys into and takes ownership of a victim mentality. See, self-pity cannot be your focus in life. Hurt happens to everybody. But you don't have to live hurt. Even if you don't talk about it. 
You might be rehearsing it and nursing it on the inside. You might have a mentality of why you cannot go forward because of what happened in your past. Never let your past imprison your future, but make a decision in your present that your best is yet to come. Come on, somebody, help me out. But you need to understand that this is important. Don't orbit your life around, you know, this thing I call self pity. The second thing you got to do, and this is what David did. You can follow me through. I'll give you the verses I'm going through. David didn't get bitter. David got better. Man, I'm here to tell you something. I'm talking to somebody. Help me, Jesus. Uh, anyways, now, now David was greatly distressed. This is uh, verse 6a. David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. Could you imagine David? Oh, great. I lost my family. Two boys. I lost everything too. Now you want to kill me? Now they always point the finger at the leader, right? Oh, okay. Well, anyways. <laughs> you know, and tragedy happened to David too. And David lost everything. He didn't know where his family was. Everything he owned was in ashes. His possessions, his house... You know, terrorists came in and took over everything. And all he was doing is the will of God in his life. Now, his 600 men wanted to kill him. And they were professional stone throwers. <laughs> they belonged to the union. You don't know what a union is anyways. And uh, they were acting like that. You know, could you imagine, David? And the verse goes on to say in verse 6, it says, Because their soul of all the people was grieved. That word grieved means bitter. Every man for his sons and daughters. David had worked with these guys. I mean, they were in debt when they came to him, in distress and discontent. Took them to the cave of Abdullah, mentored them, breathed life into them, gave them hope, gave them a vision. And all of a sudden, when a tragedy comes, they turn against him and they want to kill him. Well, welcome to leadership. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't read that in the fine print, but anyways... Uh, but you have to be careful about bitterness. Listen to me. Because bitterness will trouble your health. It will trouble your mind. It will ruin your emotional life. It will tear apart relationships. It will destroy a marriage. Bitterness will influence negatively your finances. And it will hinder your career. I'm here to tell you bitterness begins with a seed. It's called the seed of offense. And you might not admit it, but you might be bitter with God. God, why did you let this happen? Oh, yeah, right. Or, you know, you might be bitter with someone else or something else. You know, you can't always change other people, but you can't make a decision to change yourself. But you need to understand this. Moses came to the waters of Myra. Remember that? And uh, the waters that they came to were bitter. This is the story. Because Myra uh, was a, a type of heart condition of the children of Israel at the time. And they had crossed the Red Sea, and they traveled three days to get to, because they had no water. And they got to the pools of Mara, and they began to murmur and complain. Praise God, this church does not murmur and complain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are coming soon. But I wish you'd come a lot faster. Anyways, here we go. And, uh, and they were bitter in their souls because the water wasn't sweet. Have you ever had a situation happen with a friend and because you didn't, yeah, maybe you made a mistake or maybe you did it deliberately or but you know you really sincerely apologize and you just weren't sweet to him. Pastor didn't shake my hand today. <laughs> I, I'm hurt. 
I know Jesus loves me, but I don't know about pastor. <laughs> but the Bible says that God gave Moses a solution with those bitter people. Uh, to never say, thank God they're not here. That was your opportunity. But anyways, uh, in Exodus 15, 25, it says, so Moses cried out to the Lord because the people were complaining and they were bitter. And, uh, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when it was cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. What is a tree that can always make or sweeten up your life? And that is the cross of Calvary. It was a type and shadow. See, that's why I say to you, you don't have to stay bitter. You can actually get better when you realize the power of the cross. And the third thing, since you're so excited, is David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Shandai, tie my bow tie. Here we go. Listen, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, the first part, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now get the, get the picture here. There are 600 men that are standing around him and they want to stone this brother. Y'all ain't feeling what I'm saying. And they're waiting, and you know, and they are, they are, I mean, they are good at what they do. They are good killers. <laughs> they're very good. You know, and David could either allow grief and bitterness to conquer him. Now he's in a zigzag. He's in a moment where he's not denying any facts. He realizes what's going on. Now it's a time of shaping character and leadership. You know, and here we go. This is what gets you to your next level. So David could sink into a black hole of depression. Or David could get up. And, or maybe David can get up and quit. But David chose to fight back. But the way he fought back, I want you to hear. Before David could fight, he would have to get his strength and courage back. Because his soul was also hurting. He was grieving. You know, he wasn't this man of God that had some... Some pixie dust from Disney falling on him wherever he went. And I want you to realize, you know, um, he was going through the very thing that you're going through right now. This story is in the Bible for you. It's not here to entertain you only. But I want you to realize, you know, that David looked around. And he had one of those. He realized that no one around him wanted to encourage him. Ever been around a group like that? And, uh, and so he had to encourage himself. The Lord is God. And the Bible says in the book of Nehemiah. That we are not to sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? So you have to understand, if the devil can't steal your joy, he can't keep your goods. Amen? What I mean by that, sometimes the enemy tries to steal your joy, uh, your peace, uh, your tranquility, your confidence, you know, and the list goes on. And so David did something that's absolutely amazing. Let's go continue on. This is 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I'm in verse 7. And it goes this way. Here we go. Looking for it. All right. So David said to Abathar. Here he is. I want to show you how he encouraged himself. So David said to Abathar. Abathar was the priest. Uh, Ahimelech. He said, please bring me the ephod. Bring it to me. And Abathar brought him the ephod. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, can I pursue this truth? Shall I overtake him? But you've got to get this picture. You know, when you're in a situation like that, you have to learn not to react in life. But as the righteousness of God, you need to learn to respond. You know, we need to understand the importance of the secret place. You know, David needed a word that flashed like lightning and rolled like thunder in his heart. 
You know, he didn't just want a logos. He needed to hear the rhema. I just want you to understand no matter how life feels, God said he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can take that to the bank and cash it in and get money back. Come on, somebody. You know, David was a type of new covenant believer. You know, you and I, biblically, we are kings and priests through Christ. But I want you to realize that, you know, we like to talk about being a king. We like to talk about that warrior spirit. We like to talk about taking the sword of God's word. And those are all biblically right to do. But sometimes you can't get there until you get to the secret place and understand what a priest does. A priest has to minister unto the Lord. He has to hear the word of the Lord. And God has a word for you before I close here. See, but David needed a word from God. And so he, he got the ephod. Man, I didn't bring my ephod. Anyways, it's just like it's a, he said, he said, Abathar! Abathar said, yo, I'm over here. I'm hiding from all those guys that want to kill you. I just didn't want them looking at me. Anyways, he said, Abathar! And, and Abathar said, he said, I need the ephod. He said, but I'm the priest. I said, give it up, son. Listen, anyways, uh, so he gives him the ephod, opens up. It's just it's called a big, big, giant blanket. I'm really reducing this thing down. And he took that ephod. Jesus, help us. And he got that ephod. I mean, we're talking about this is a, some kind of cloth with a lot of embroiderment and it's supposed to be anointed. And he fell where he was. And he probably was standing where his tent used to be. But he's kneeling right now on ashes. And probably with a little glance to his right, he sees a burnt figure of a doll that his daughter used to play with. And over here, he sees you know, some kind of object that he used to have in his home, but all he can see right now when he falls to his knees with an ephod in his hand is ashes. And he also he hears at that same moment, he hears the thundering noise of people who want to kill him, that are enraged with him, that are blaming him. And he has to make a choice. He's in Ziklag. He's in Ziklag. And he can still smell the smoldering, see the... He can see not only the ashes, but he can, you know, he can see the smoldering smoke still rising up. And he gets the ephod, and he puts that ephod around him, and he just bows down like this. And there he is. He's in a secret place. He's in a secret place. And, and he can still hear the noise going on outside. He's not denying the facts. But before he makes a decision, he's got to get to his God. You see, so maybe he's sitting there, and he said, Lord... I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on. And you know my heart, Lord. It, it's as much pain as those men that you've given me that I've raised up for years. And Lord, right now, my heart is troubled. He's in an ephod. Maybe the men can hear him. Maybe they can't. Jesus doesn't, um, you know, I'm sorry. David doesn't care whether they can or can't. When you're in your ephod, you've got to focus in on God. You just kind of like lock it in here. You know, and here he is. And he's hearing the noise. He's hearing the rumble. He's not denying anything that's going on. And he's sitting right in the middle of ashes. The most impossible situation you can imagine. It looks impossible. It looks inconceivable. You know, it looks, you know, unimaginable that the, anything can ever come out of a Ziklag situation. So before you give up, Throw in the towel, run away, quit on God, quit on life, quit on yourself. Get your ephod out. He went into the secret place, not with emotions of praise to Jesus, hallelujah, God is good. He went in there broken, hurt, 
busted and disgusted for everything that had gone on. And at the same time, he's hearing the natural voices. Could you imagine what's going on in his mind? The devil saying to him, and you thought God was real, didn't you? And you thought you were the anointed one. Well, I guess I got you now, sucker. Oh, sorry, that's a different word. In Hebrew, that means, sir. Anyways, um, <clears throat> you know, and all that stuff that goes through your mind is going through his. Yeah. So you want to isolate yourself and make yourself a special case, right? So you can have ownership into self-pity, victim mentality. That's exactly what the devil's trying to get you all into. But here you are. You got your ephod. For Psalms 91 says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Maybe he said that. Maybe he said, Lord, your word says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, you are my fortress, my God, and you will I trust. And in this moment, when my soul, my soul is being ripped apart, and I don't know but any second that they will sling the first stone in my life will be gone. But may I go praising you, my God. I want to begin to thank you. For did I not say that I will bless the Lord at all times and your praise will continually be in my mouth. And even though I'm confused and even though I don't know what my next step is and even though I don't know what to do, I start, Lord God, by bowing to you. And maybe it was in that moment because his soul was all ripped up emotionally. God understands what you're going through. From there, David said, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalms 103. Who forgives all my iniquities, heals all my diseases, who redeems my life from destruction, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, and satisfies my mouth with good things. Maybe he kept coming back. Who redeems my life from destruction. He redeemed my life from destruction. I'll not forget that. Even in this worst moment, Lord, where there's nothing but betrayal and rejection and loss and defeat, I still believe. I believe. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Sometimes no one can take your place in praise. And until you get to that place, that praise is personally yours. You'll never get to that place where the prize will be in your hand. But all of a sudden, he says a simple little question. Lord, what do I do? Shall I pursue? And God gave him a word that flashed like lightning and rolled like thunder. In fact, he probably did a little, couple of shandais. Shandai, shandai, tie my bow tie. You don't know what that means. Could be that Spanglish. Could be. And then he probably, you know, and it didn't happen just in that quick of a moment, though. But I'm just giving you a time period. He kind of stood up. This boy still wanted to kill him. Still talking trash, smack. You know, threw off the ephod. He said, boys, because something happened when he was in the secret place. He said, boys, I got a word from God. They said, dang, no, that's our leader. I've heard that voice before. He says, God gave me a word. God has a word for you. The word for David is your word today. And God said, pursue, overtake, and recover all. Pursue, overtake, and recover all. What, Pastor Art? You know, you've been having too many pineapples and papayas there in that place called Hawaii. <laughs> Must be. 
You spinning crazy with pineapple juice. What do you mean? That is a typical example. How God can make and give you a plan of victory out of the ashes in your life. He says, out of the ashes, I can raise up something beautiful. I can give you the oil of gladness, the garments of praise. God can put your pursuit back. God can give you that victory back. God can give you that sense that he will restore. And the best days are not behind you, brother and sister. The best days are before you. And that's why Paul the apostle said, forgetting those things which are behind you, we reach forward to those things which are ahead. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that God has a plan for your life to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Can you give Jesus a great big hand clap? Oh, come on, don't patty cake with Jesus. He's your savior. He's your deliverer. He's your baptizer. He's your healer. Somebody help me. So stand to our feet. Hand this over to Pastor just a moment. Lift your hand up, one of your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that this word entered into the hearts of these great people. Lord, you know the conditions of their life. I know, I know, I know. I know, I know, I know. Lord, there are people here that needed to hear that there still was a pursuit on the inside of them. Father, they began to shrink wrap their lives and downsize their goals. But Father, after today, they know by the Holy Ghost, there is a pursuit, an ability to overtake and recover all. The best days are not behind. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, give them a word, Father God. Lord, that, Lord, no matter where they are, what they're facing, the best is before them. We keep our eyes on you. Bless them, heal them, restore them in Jesus' name for your glory. And everyone said, amen. Well, put your hands together like you really love him. Let's give Pastor on a big hand. Amen. What an encouraging message. Rising from the ashes in order to overcome. God bless you. You are free to go. Have a wonderful rest.